It's news to us on Adobe Radio. We're live. Very excited to talk to our guest this week, Commander Phil Ayer. He's a retired U.S. Navy commander, and he's running to challenge Matt Gates's congressional seat in Florida. Everyone loves Matt Gates. I don't know what we're going to do without him if he loses. It's going to be who, who are we going to hate? I don't. By not, everyone, you mean you. And uh, then uh, you got uh, DJT uh, commuting Roger Stone. We'll we'll talk about what that means. And is it safe to go back to school? All that and more. But first, some very important breaking news that is just now coming across my desk. Actually, this is came across my desk yesterday. Uh, Jason and I won a game of Call of Duty Warzone. Take your victory lap now, Jason. I would just like to thank uh, uh, Katie and Mackenzie, my parents. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't an easy feat winning that God. Warzone game. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to thank God. Out of 150 players, we were first. In fact, Jason was the last man standing. Look at that. That's correct. Now, now what? Now what are you going to do with your life? You've done it all. You know, I, I might hang out my controller. It's news to us with Eddie and Jason. And no Katie this week. Katie's out. So why is Katie out? She's she's quarantining, right? So she's she was going to go visit her grandparents. So, so she got COVID tested and now she's hanging out in a remote location for two weeks. Yeah, Katie and Kenzie both got tested today. And um, so they left this morning, went and got tested and then went and quarantined away from me. Um, since I'm interacting with people on a daily basis for my day job, um, you know, just to limit their exposure. So what is the so, total time that they're going to be away from you? Uh, I just spoke to Kinsey a little bit ago, and they, uh, I guess the doctor said five to seven days to get results. They're hoping okay. for less. All right. Five to seven days to get the results, and then they have to hang out uh, past that or no? Well, after that, then they're going to go visit Katie's grandparents. Okay. So, so it's, it's it, like a total of two weeks away. Possibly. So. Possibly two There's weeks away. Potential. Yeah. Uh, 10 full, days. Some, yeah, somewhere around there. And full disclosure to our audience, like you are the HR department here. Uh, uh, Jason and Katie may be romantically involved. We wanted to bring that to your attention uh, well, because it is the law to let you know that. Oh, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of nosy people out there that would like to know, though. I mean, what's, I what's think they know, on? right? After uh, all these years, Eddie, I think they know. Yeah, maybe there's a couple people that might know. Cats out of the bag, my dude. Uh, well, Dirty Deets, it's a uh, doubleheader. We'll talk about uh, going back to school. Is it safe? But first, a uh, another uh, one of these stories that was buried late on a Friday night. DJT commutes Roger Stone. What does that mean? The Dirty Deets. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. Yeah, so I think it, yes. If, if you if you've been watching the news or at all over the last couple of days, uh, you've heard terms uh, "pardon" and "commuted." Um, at least I have, and I, I wanted to uh, clear the air and and uh, let everyone know what the difference is between a pardon and a, a commuted sentence. A pardon means complete absolving of a person of the crime and letting them go free. 
the pardoned criminal will be like a normal citizen, so they have civil rights that you know are uh, reestablished for them. Whereas a, a commuted sentence uh, means that their uh, punishment is less than so originally convicted for right. sentenced for. But uh, Roger Stone is still a convicted felon as of right now. As that's of right correct. now, as he's okay. still appealing his. Uh, um. But why does all this matter? That's the big thing. Like for people who are like casually paying attention to this, uh, you know, that could be some Adobe listeners. Like they're probably like, "Who the hell is Roger Stone? Why do I care about him? Why do I care about this?" Well, Roger Stone's been uh, an associate of DJT's for I don't know thirty or forty years now, and a political uh, advisor during the twenty sixteen campaign. That is correct, and he was convicted by a jur- jury on seven felony counts yes in coordination with russia and wikileaks in the 2016 election yes again yeah roger stone was coordinating with russia and wikileaks to wikileaks i i I like that word that wikileaks the wikileaks yeah i don't don't like that word that's a that's a bad word um yeah uh, so he was again he was communicating with russia and wikileaks to dig up dirt on Hillary Clinton with the and email coordinate thing. The, coordinating the dumping of that dirt of so, emails that, that were hacked. And he was convicted of this, of, of various crimes around this. Actually. By a jury. By a jury. And this is bad things. This is a bad thing when you have uh, foreign actors who are influencing our elections here in the United States because... Do I have to say why? If you don't know why, that would be bad. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, maybe some people don't know why that would be bad. I, I guess why? Why is that bad, Jason? Why don't we want Russia interfering with our elections? What, what would be the harm there? Russia is out for Russia, not for America. Oh, so Russia doesn't God, want me to have a good I can't life. Believe you, I can't believe I had to say that. Well, you know, I feel like we have to sometimes dumb it down a little bit. That's not dumbing it down. That like. You know, that, but okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. I'm not saying that we're that smart, but we just kind of talk fast sometimes. Uh, but anyways, so Roger Stone, uh, 67 year old. The guy, by the way, has uh, uh, Richard Nixon, Nixon tattooed on his back. I have Richard Nixon tattooed on my urethra. Don't ask. Yeah. It took a to, it's it's micro- wild time in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's as microscopic. <laughs> Too much tequila. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Tequila, you, as they call it there. Um, yeah, but so this is a big deal that uh, DJT commuted this guy. So basically what happened is uh, the felony charges that were that convict that Roger Stone was convicted of were because he was protecting DJT, the very man who commuted his sentence. So is yes. that not obstruction of justice and corruption? Yeah, I, I- it is. So Stone was uh, withheld information and outright lied to Congress, and that was what he was convicted of. And so uh, Roger Stone was also given the opportunity to make the investigation uh, into his crimes a little less severe if he were to turn over information, more information that he had on Donald Trump, but he refused to do so. And this is the repayment for that loyalty, it seems. 
Uh, that's what we all assume at this po- at this point. I mean, writing's on the wall, right? You scratch my hair, my hairy back. I scratch yours. I, I kind of picture Donald Trump and Roger Stone taking romantic baths together. Why would you imagine that? What's wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, I'm trying to lose weight, and I want to uh, throw out my lunch. Jeez. There's <laughs> better ways of doing that. Oh. Okay, maybe I should uh, consult my doctor. I did. So in DJT's statement um, regarding his decision to... Uh, commuting the uh, sentence of Roger Stone, he he attacked the special counsel's office and Robert Mueller. And I thought it was interesting that Robert Mueller wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post uh, the following day. What did he have uh, to say? Defending, defending, you know, what they did, their investigation and the convictions. Um, and it, it just seems very sad that the special counsel... The, the head of the special counsel's office had to defend the work that they did to the president. Right. And I it's mean, so such a weird and unusual time to me. It's weird, unusual, and everybody should be saying WTF is going on here. Everybody should be like really upset right now. You should be upset. Everyone should be upset. That is, it's not normal. True. This is uh, outright corruption. Um, What we're seeing right now is unprecedented corruption. And by the way, there is a long trail of DJT using the executive branch's power of clemency for all of his friends and associates. I mean, he's been using this a lot, right? For, For not only Roger Stone, but other people who have been in his circle. Either in his circle or have connections to his circle. So there's there's numerous reports out there. You know, there's a, a, a specific uh, process for folks to or for convicted felons to go through to seek pardons or clemency uh, from the president. And almost all of uh, DJT's pardons or um, clemency decisions have been through outside channels, through Fox News, and he's not using the legal services in the DOJ to process all of these. He's just making the his own decision and executing it, which is so he's, far not the normal way of doing it. Just on a whim, he's saying like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pardon you, I'll commute you, you help me, I like you, you're loyal to me. And the people or, that he's... Or, or it riles up his base. You know, it's another yeah. thing. Too. Even even uh, pardon somebody who was convicted of murder, uh, and also don't forget uh, Sheriff Joe uh, Arpaio. I say in Arizona. Name? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was uh, convicted of contempt of court after he uh, continued detaining suspected undocumented immigrants. He also, if you don't uh, remember, but back in February he pardon or yeah i think it was a pardon of blagojevich who tried to sell obama's seat after he won the presidency in 2008 so just to sum it up but what's happening is just not is absolutely not normal and you should be paying attention to this and uh if i mean we have like the a, a dictator wannabe who is uh pushing the limits of the office to uncomfortable excess and he's corrupt. 
This it's is corrupt. corruption. It's it's corruption. Uh, America is better than this. Is all I have to say. Vote.org, check your registration, and um, also vote. Don't just check the registration, but vote as well. Anything else you want to say on that before our second part of Dirty Deets? That, it's just straight-up corruption. The Dirty Deets. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. But I don't want to go to school. Wouldn't you be loving it right now if you were a kid, no school? If I were a kid right now, I'd be loving it, but um, it's not good for kids at all. It, and, and kids, uh, I will say kids are not loving this. Kids want to be back in school. Oh, a bunch like, of sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. You would want to be back in school. Maybe. I guess system. maybe you'd start to get bored. Kids want to do what they can't do. Maybe there's going to be like a lot of kids who aren't going to drop out of high school this year because they're being told not to go to school and like, I want to go. You can't tell me what to do, mom. I'm going to rebel. But uh, during the pandemic, DeVos and DeVos and uh, Trump, Betsy DeVos, excuse me, the education secretary, I should say, and uh, Trump, the commander in Queef, are, I don't even know what that means, are pushing, <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> uh, they're they're pushing uh, for kids to go back to school, but is it too soon? Is it too soon to put? I mean, it, yes, is the answer to that question. But we'll tell you why. But uh, but since since Trump isn't getting his way, and there's a pushback from from parents, from teachers, from health officials, from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. He is now threatening to defund schools. This is his reaction to it. He tweeted, uh, The Dems think it would be bad for them politically if U.S. schools open before the November election, but it's important for the kids and families may cut off funding if not open. That's a terrible Trump. It got worse and worse. Yeah, it's getting bad. Yeah, I, I'm just so sick, of, right. him. I'm just so okay. sick of him. I can't take it anymore. Uh, so he's starting to actually cut off funding to schools, but can he actually do it? I decided to look that up, and no, he can't. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, con- it's Congress that does that. Yes, congressional the authorization. The, the power of the purse is in Congress. No president can unilaterally decide to cut off funding to schools. And by the way, how much federal funding actually goes to uh, schools? Very little, less than 10%. So if you were to say, yeah, uh, no, no more funding for schools. They might not have. Uh, I don't know. They might not have any any red any red uh, markers for the uh, whiteboard. That'd, no, be, that'd be horrible. Uh, I've been. I've you know, as a parent, I follow this a little bit closer now. Yeah, as we're. Yeah, I wanted your perspective on this because you have a kid in school in, in elementary school, and she's going to be going into third. Fourth. Fourth, my God, she's growing up fast. I know. I know. Yeah, it's crazy, but I saw a statistic or, you know, an estimate that to safely, you know, to to do the the proper protocols into schools, they need an additional 150 to 200 billion dollars in order to somewhat safely open reopen the schools meanwhile teachers making 30 grand a year are having to spend their paychecks on getting pencils and notebooks for their students 
Yeah, like instead that. of notebooks and pencils, they're gonna have to buy hand sanitizer and masks. The, the teachers are gonna be like that's where we're it. gonna be. Like, yeah, the burden on teachers is already enormous, and you compound that with them risking their lives and them trying to tell, you know, twenty to thirty-five kids in a classroom to wear their mask at all time, to social distance, to clean their hand or wash their hands, like. That's we're, too much. And it's too much. 30% of these teachers are over 50 as well. And 16% of the total deaths in the U.S. Uh, from COVID-19 are between the ages of 45 and 65. So you're not you're telling these teachers to doubly risk their lives. Uh, they're already having to go to school uh, worrying about a, a mass shooting. And they're doing drills nonstop, which has got to be horrible. They're not getting paid enough for any of this. And then you're telling them to, telling them to go into this classroom with 30 germ-ridden little rugrats and saying, like, uh, stand up there and it's fine. Uh, it, it, just go just go do your job. Kids need it. Yeah, I mean, kids do need it, but we also need to be safe, right? Like, Well, I, the point, we I, need I, to know be that, safe. I know that like, kids need school. That's not the argument. Every, every kid should be in school. But, I mean, I'm not against school here. I'm just saying. I mean, it sound like you were earlier. Oh, I, well, as a kid, I was... Against being in school. <laughs> I mean, school didn't really do much for me, so. What are you talking about? <laughs> Look at who you are now. Oh, yeah. Anyways. Teachers. Uh, these poor teachers, though, I feel so bad for them. I would quit. I mean, like, do you think the teacher unions are really going to go for this if they really start to lay the hammer down and say, time for you to go back? Here's what I, do you want to know what I think is going to happen? That's why we have this podcast. All right. Here's what I think is going to happen. I also, yeah. Um, I think that we're going to, you know, schools are going to reopen in person. I think in cities across the country, you know, especially those in the worse off, you know, parts of the country like Arizona, and uh, Texas. They're going to try to reopen schools, in-person learning. It's going to go for like three or four weeks, and then there's going to be huge outbreaks. A teacher's going to die. Kids are going to bring uh, it home. Summer, uh, there was already a summer teacher that died in uh, Arizona. So you're going to have more outbreaks across the country, and they're going to shut down schools. I think that's that a- might be worse than just saying stay virtual until we get a handle on what's happening with this pandemic. I think that's a pretty uh, accurate assessment because that's what we've seen with the country. Instead of having a complete and total lockdown for several months until everything kind of cools off and then having the government help people out financially, we have seen the government sort of half-ass help everybody out and then push us all back into the lion's den and say, hey, get back to work, you, you peon. I need to make more money. I need to get my my yacht polished. <laughs> I need to not pay taxes. I need to not pay taxes, so you better give me more money that I can't pay taxes on. It's, it's, I mean, we 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 on this very podcast, you know, several months ago, we said that this was going to happen. Uh, we predicted it. Reopen too quickly. There was going to be a rise in cases, and look at where we're at. Like I, now, we we talked about this, and now we're doing the same. They're they're. Not we. They are doing the same stupid shit with schools. And this is where it really gets messed up because they're throwing children into the fire. Um, 
I mean, there's not a lot of, we, I, from what I understand, children aren't really impacted by COVID-19, but what if their parents catch it and their parents die? Then you have these kids in foster care or they, what if the, their, what if like their uh, grandparent gets it and dies? I mean, there, there's so many, or the, or what if their teacher dies of it? And, and then the, how do you explain that to the kids? It's, Especially the one, like if only one or two were sick, like they don't you think they would feel guilt and a burden that they were the ones who well, caused yeah. their teacher to die? Yeah, how do you explain all this to kids? So Bet- Betsy DeVos actually went on CNN and had just a really, uh, just batshit crazy interview with Dana Bash of CNN. No and- fucking surprise there, huh? You should go watch it. I, I, did, I pulled some quotes from it, and I did try to pull some audio, but I couldn't stand looking at her and and watching her reactions to some of the questions because it was just basically what she was saying is push the kids back. Uh, the CDC, uh, what they're saying are simply recommendations. It's up to the, the, the classroom and the schools to figure out what to do, and they're smart people in these schools, what she's saying. But you know what? It, it, they could be as smart as they want, but you can't outsmart a virus. When you have like thirty people in a confined space, what are you supposed to do then? And Open the kids, window. and not just people. Kids, kids aren't going to comply with hand washing and wearing masks all the time. Are you kidding me? You're going to get one little it. piece of shit that's going to cough in your face just because you uh, gave him an F on his homework. Oof. What are you saying? Yeah, nothing. It's just that it's just an all around terrible idea. There's just so many questions. So I saw this going viral on social media. Um, it's just like this long, stupid diatribe. Oh, it's not stupid. It's just a very wordy uh, post that I saw on, of course, Facebook, because that's where people would post this sort of thing. But it has some very valid points. It uh, just lists all these questions. Like, if a teacher tests positive for COVID-19 and they are required to quarantine, uh, excuse me, are they required to quarantine for two to three weeks? Is their sick leave covered and paid? I mean, that's just one question, but there's like 20 questions. Uh, substitute teachers teach in multiple schools. What if they're diagnosed with COVID-19? Do all the kids in each school now have to quarantine and get tested? Where is the district going to find substitute teachers who will want to work in a classroom full of exposed, possibly infected students for substitute pay? Uh, this is so many questions here. How, how will it affect uh, students and faculty when the first student in their school dies from this? The first parent. Uh, like, what? I mean, that's so stupid. So just to put this in perspective, though, uh, so Hong Kong had less than 100 cases in their uh, school system, and they closed all their schools in Hong Kong. Meanwhile, Trump is pushing to send 57 million kids back to school in the middle of the world's worst outbreak. I saw a story in Australia that there was, you know, they saw an increase in cases by like 200 people and they shut down. They're shutting down again. They're making their, uh, and I forgot what province or territory, I don't know how they distinguish that in Australia, but they shut down. And they have to; they're in a stay-at-home order once again for like. Six but it, weeks. but it's that it's that province, right? Because like once you get things under control, then you just take care of the outbreaks. It's like right. everybody makes the first initial sacrifice, and then if there's hot spots, then you take care of them as you go. We just all have to like sacrifice for just. Can we do it for like three or four no. goddamn months? Can't even no. do it. 
We can't do it. <sighs> like six weeks was too much. Right? Six, I, we barely did anything. I mean, it, it, you got some people working from home and you have uh, some people wearing masks, but the the effort here has not been coordinated. It's been, uh, there's been no leadership and we're all well, suffering. Well, back up. So some people have done it, but not enough people have done it. I, th- I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a large amount of people in the United States that have followed all guidelines and stayed at home and they have not been around anyone. And, you know, there's, there's quite a few people. Well, our uh, election 2020 coverage continues in just a second uh, with Phil air. He is uh, trying to unseat Matt Gates, which is he, that guy is just a piece of crap. We can talk Eddie's about that. Favorite. My favorite. Just wear a mask, though, real quick. Can we, one thing we can yes. all do is wear a mask. Can't wait to talk to our guest, though. He's like a really interesting guy, a retired U.S. Navy commander, and he's running for office. I think we need more people like him. I really do. I am excited to talk to him. Are you? I am. All right. Makes me feel like a, yeah, pretty lame compared to him. You know? <laughs> I know. All right. I'll be right back. Vote or die. It's news to us. Election 2020 coverage continues. Our election 2020 coverage continues with guest Phil Ayer, a retired U.S. Navy commander and Democratic candidate challenging Matt Gates for Florida's first congressional district. Man, this Matt Gates guy is such an idiot. Remember when he like uh, he put on that gas mask to try to uh, mock COVID-19? This guy is a silly, stupid idiot. I mean, <laughs> What's with this guy? Yeah, I just, you know, it is stupid and it is uh, ridiculous and it is embarrassing, but it's more than that. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because when he uh, throws out his lies about uh, about the COVID virus itself, you know, uh, he had to be called out by 60 Minutes about a month ago for propagating out of whole clock, inventing out of whole clock, this lie about the uh, virus escaping from Wuhan and the United States had a $3.7 million grant into that, into that, into that lab. Well, that was wrong, but that's what he said. Trump heard it. Trump cut summarily cut out the, uh, uh, National Institutes of Health grant. And lo and behold, America is not as prepared as we need to be to control that pandemic. Absolutely so yeah, he's not. a buffoon, but he's also dangerous. Very dangerous, especially in your state, Florida, which, uh, we were just talking, uh, Jason and I, uh, how many did you say? 15,000 cases, Jason, that were just confirmed with COVID-19 in Florida. Yeah, I saw that yesterday, I believe. That's just insane. Yeah. I mean, we have plenty of time, or maybe not plenty of time, but some time to get into uh, some of these topics. But first, like we usually like to get to know uh, our guests a little bit here. So you mind if we just ask you a few get-to-know-you-type questions first, and then we'll kind of jump into the rest. Heck yeah, love it. Uh, what's, the, what's the last thing you binge-watched on Netflix? What's the last thing I've been... Oh, okay, good question. Nothing, and here's why you need to know Good. that nothing is my answer. That's what I want to hear because I've lived a life. I've lived a life overseas in uh, a, a lot of places, uh, serving in the Navy, and I just come back. I'm full time. I'm full time running for Congress, and um, I haven't really plugged into Netflix too much. Uh, well, uh, by the way, Commander, thank you for your service, and you, uh, right. we much appreciate. So you haven't you haven't uh, plugged into Netflix at all, huh? You haven't even tried. No, no. It's an option, but I'm kind of a dinosaur in some ways, so I think that's one of them. 
Jason has my that? password. I'll give you my password too if you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my campaign team's trying to get me up to speed too, but I, I beat them back uh, sometimes. So, uh, but they need to do a harder job on Netflix on the Netflix front. No, it's okay. I, I, I honestly don't want people in Congress or the president having time to be on Netflix. You, you should be working. <laughs> Uh, so we are working, but we're, we know how to have fun in our campaign too. We've got a little nickname for our campaign. It's called the Air Force. How do you it's, guys uh, have play fun? on my name and stuff? It's good. Go ahead, Air Force. Yeah, it, I was going to say your name does lend itself to being in the Air Force, or you're in the Navy, though. Excuse me. So I guess it, yeah, but I flew. You, you see, I flew in the Navy, so it's a little bit of a play on words. And okay. uh, you know, my mom told me that I got me elected to something in the sixth grade, but it's coming out again. <laughs> Uh, well, how do you guys have fun in, in the campaign? What do you, what does the air force do to, to make it? I mean, it's a weird time we're living in. Nobody can really be together physically. Like what do you, what do you guys do? Or maybe you do somehow be together physically. What is it like? Well, when the COVID curtain came down, we separated, we separated fast. We were one of the, we were probably a second congressional uh, race in the state of Florida to stop our petition gathering operations, which meant going door to door, hanging out at uh, farmer's markets and asking people to uh, support us to the extent of, of allowing my name to be printed on the ballot. Well, we shut that down uh, and we shut it down in the Pensacola News Journal, our big paper here, uh, reported that and uh, got, raised a lot of eyebrows at the time, but we were right and people recognized that we were right. So we don't have uh, physical operations in an office remote and we are having fun over the screen. We've got uh, people in the district that, you know, should be talking to each other face to face. They're not, but we're able also to bring in talent from outside the district. We have an internship program, for example, that has interns from in the district and outside the district. And we have fun by being lighthearted when, when it's appropriate to be lighthearted and um, uh, just being kind and uh, to each other and just having a good time online on the phone and knowing fundamentally knowing that we are on a righteous mission to turf out Matt Gates and, and uh, re- replace him with uh, a measure of honor and integrity. Matt Gates is a pretty well-known name of uh, your Republican challenger because he's just put his face out there through a series of stunts and stupidity uh, and that that kind of gets press just being an idiot. And you're running on a campaign that is not idiotic. So how do you get out there? Because the press doesn't want to cover you when you're not a dumbass. <laughs> you're right. So the press is uh, very happy to cover Matt and Matt on his, on his own. But occasionally we get a mention and it's going to get more and more uh, as time goes on. Uh, we uh, we're, we're in a pro- we're in the, in the state of Florida. We're in the primary season. So Matt Gates has two challenges, challengers of his own to fight off in the Republican primary. I think he's going to uh, hand them uh, and hand, uh, get a victory pretty swiftly within uh, within the Republicans. So the, the media doesn't really want to focus on the general election yet. But guess what? Uh, they're going to need to. They're going to have to because we're forcing their hand. Uh, we've got a an incredibly strong team that is out on social media. We've been on air uh, with the 30 second commercials on the, on the nightly news for a very brief period, but we're there and uh, we're asking your visitors, your, your listeners to help us out and keep us there. But um, we also have a whole lot of uh, interest and small donors in the district and outside the district. Now, let me just 
confess that I'm no Bernie Sanders. However, we have uh, an average contribution of $27, and we've been able to uh, raise uh, hundreds of thousands that I don't want to say on air just now because uh, we're going to be reporting it in a, in a few uh, days along with every other congressional race in the country. But let me just tell you, it's more than, it's well over twice the combined sum of all Democrats in this race in the past 20 years. So we are seeing a sea change, and it's evident in how much support we're getting from uh, everyday folks. You ran in 2018 as well, and that didn't quite work out. Um, But you've learned a lot, obviously, and it seems like... There's a big difference between now and then. What what what's different? Like, what are you feeling? Well, I'm I'm feeling like uh, who hasn't who hasn't learned from the school of hard knocks? You know, that's kind of the way I've uh, lived part of my life, uh, learning by by uh, failures or learning by going around once. I didn't really, actually. It's not really a failure. It's a learning process. So um, we have grown. My I have grown as a candidate. I've matured as a candidate. Our campaign structure has grown and added credibility to it in the in our staffing, but in in our approach, in our whole approach. So it was in one of the when I lost last time, it was in the Democratic primary. Well, I'm here to say that I'm now the de facto nominee well before the uh, Florida primary. And why is that? It's because I've been able to uh, to earn the confidence and the support of Democrats and people beyond the Democratic Party, but of Democrats uh, throughout the district. And so I don't have a challenger. No one else qualified. We have the luxury now to focus solely on Matt Gates and get the job done. Whereas last time we were uh, having a, a primary um, amongst ourselves in Florida, you know, the primary is way late. It's on it's toward the end of August. This year is August 18. And had we been in a primary situation, we would not be as strong as we are today. Uh, we are um, consolidated, and we're moving forward to re- replace Gates. You're in a in a Republican state, and you're running as a Democrat. Uh, part of my language, but are you concerned about any uh, fuckery at the polls? <laughs> um, I happen to know each of the supervisors of elections in the uh, five counties that comprise the uh, uh, the first congressional district, and uh, I trust them. Uh, I trust them as far as I can throw them, but I can also tell you that there, there's no universal rule in Florida about, uh, about mail-in ballots, but we have good attitudes on, in all five counties. And, uh, that's part of the, part of the safety and part of the, um, uh, part of what's going to make us, uh, uh, have confidence in the results of the election. And let me just challenge one premise that you just, that you just said that we're in a red state. Well, guess, go check out the statewide uh, party registration. And I was just on a, a an event uh, an hour ago where a, one of the County um, leaders uh, observed that there are now more registered Democrats in the state of Florida than registered Republicans Good. up here in the panhandle. Yeah. It's not quite like that. Right. And the largest group of uh, registered new registered voters is in the uh, the independent category. What here we here in Florida, we here in Florida call the uh, no party affiliated uh, voters. So Democrats are coming on strong here in Florida. We have a huge effort on vote by mail, and these factors are gonna are are working together along with my campaign to uh, have the uh, the Biden uh, election be positive here in 
in Florida to get the 29 electoral votes uh, for him and uh, replacing Donald Trump. And that's part of the reason I'm running, because the better we do out here uh, in my race and in the Florida legislative races, and we need to talk about that if you want, um, uh, we're going to have we're going to run up the total here in the central time zone of Florida. Has there been an expansion of mail in ballot? Uh, the, the measures given the pandemic and, you know, you, you see, with you know, in-person voting becoming more and more of an issue. Has there been expansion of mail-in ballots in the state of Florida? Yes. Well, I can't speak for the whole state. I can speak for a few of the counties here in my district, and I can tell you that the supervisors want more mail-in that ballot, so they're making it a little easier for everybody to do that. And so that's very heartening. Uh, last thing, if I was a supervisor's election, the last thing I'd want to do is try to recruit poll workers um, for long lines. I'd want to get as many people voting in October during the um, during the early voting time and in the mail-in ballot time than uh, having to deal with lines all around each of the precincts. So Donald Trump uses an absentee ballot from his Florida resident, or actually his Florida business illegally. Uh, to vote in Washington D.C., what is the difference between a absentee ballot and a mail-in ballot? Um, there is a technical difference, but in all practicality, nothing. Here's Thank the, you. Here's Thank you. That's all I was getting difference. at. Thank you. That's all I was getting at. I just wanted you to say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not. So the military okay. people, and I've voted. You know, I've been a uh, Florida resident for. Gosh, since 1984, and most of that time has been overseas. I've received my uh, mail-in ballot or absentee ballot, mail-in ballot, every two years, and it works like a charm. It works great. Uh, the overseas military and the in-United States military that are outside of uh, this district get their ballots mailed to them earlier than, than people inside the district, but uh, that's the only difference. So I have to ask you a tough question here. So you were a registered Republican until 2016. What led you to switch parties exactly? Exactly. Well, the nomination of Donald J. Trump, when I realized I had zero home, no hope of a future home in the Republican Party because of the leadership has sold out to uh, lies and um, uh, dishonorable behavior. And uh, it was just not, they're throwing away the legacy that we fought for um, that we fought for our, our country, your forefathers and mine in World War II. Uh, we maintained, um, maintained good foreign policy and defense policy. That's my area of expertise through the Cold War. And uh, uh, Donald J. Trump, uh, supported by people like Matt Gates, are, are all about destroying public service. And you see that in the micro examples of the people who testified uh, against something, you know, it told the truth and testified uh, what against the president uh, in the impeachment hearings, and uh, you see it in the investigations and in the convictions of people all around him. And these guys, Matt Gates at the forefront, is saying, "Oh yeah, this is great, this is wonderful." And what he's really saying is, "I don't care about truth and justice in the American way. I care about hanging on to power by whatever means," and that is frankly unpatriotic and uh, cannot stand. Did you so find... I switch parties? I switch parties because uh, the Republican Party left me, and the Democratic Party has been much better in my course of my lifetime on civil rights than the Republicans were. In my lifetime, the Democrats have been much better on the environment than the Republicans have been. And I've noticed that when 
Democratic presidents compromise with uh, with Congress, the, the debt goes down. And when the debt goes down, we as a country have more flexibility to deal with the big strategic problems like this COVID, uh, like this COVID pandemic. You know, we're spending a lot of money bailing people out, and we must. We must continue. And the PPP, the protection payment program, needs to be bigger. Uh, but we're taking on much more risk because we're spending on it. Um, and uh, had we had responsible fiscal policy with the uh, Trump administration, uh, they did the opposite with the irresponsible um, tax cuts that was for the wealthy, not for, you know, not an irresponsible growth that uh, it didn't result in responsible growth growth or people being helped. Um, we're just digging ourselves into a bigger hole. So we've got to get through the pandemic and we've got to get the economy going, but it's safely. And there's no, no uh, going, opening up the economy in an unsafe manner as Florida is doing now. We must do it uh, safely and get the, get the transmission rate down uh, before we proceed. Do you think that... Um you know, with uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, leading the Senate, and, you know, GOP members kind of backing up uh, Trump, what do you, where do you see the GOP going after Trump is gone? Do you think, they'll, the, as a party, that will survive? Or do you see an evolution of that party and, and people such as yourself that, you know, the Lincoln Project comes to, to my mind, you know, former Republicans who said the party left them, you think that there's an evolution yeah. in the two parties uh, system and, and evolving into something different. Well, uh, when I switch parties, I switch parties for good. I'm not going back. Uh, you asked me what I think, and I am worried about the two party system. Um, do we go into like a multi-party system? I, I don't know, but you asked me about the Republicans, their leadership is, is lost all credibility with the American people. Um, and we're going to see this in the coming up election. They're going to, uh, explode or they're not really imploding. They're just going to drift away with, uh, without leadership. I suppose the guys over at the Lincoln project, whose, whose endorsement we would dearly like to accept, but they're different than me. Um, I think that they might step up to say, okay, now that we got rid of Trumpism, oh, we can rebuild the GOP. Well, guess what? They can't just do that. There's, there's so much, there's so many tough conversations to be held, to be had and so much repair to be done by, uh, by, by people of good faith. And the Republican leadership that exists, exists in silence right now is so complicit and so compromised that they've lost credibility in the type of uh, fixes that our forefathers uh, in their ideals would want to see us uh, maintain, the checks and balances uh, among the three branches as, as one example. All right. So, I mean, we could, we could talk about that all day, but I guess we should kind of switch up topics a little bit. Uh, in your platform, you say that all Americans should receive a, a national standard of health care, as well as yep. the liberty to purchase or benefit from employment-based private insurance. So are, are right. you saying that uh, you support a, an option for Medicare for all and then yep. having that on the table, or what is your stance exactly? Yeah, so I, so I'm for a public option to uh, augment the private options that are around there. Uh, we don't want to have anybody 
going through life uh, afraid to stay to leave an employer based on health care. So um, the pub, that's part of the reason to have an that's part of the reason to have a public option that's uh, that's available and real that goes up to yes an American standard of health care. And we have that American standard uh, outlined in the ACA with a little little uh, uh, work needed on that. Um, so yes, a public option. Uh, yes. Employment-based insurance should be able to uh, continue. I don't want to rip anybody's insurance out from underneath them when they like it, um, but we need to make sure to have. Uh, does anybody uh, like their insurance? Existing conditions covered. I have to that's, say, does anybody really like their insurance? I don't think. Say that one more time. Does anybody really like their insurance? I don't think anybody likes their coverage. I mean, like we pay so much out of pocket to just go yeah. to the doctor's office for. A, just a, a basic bruise on your knee and we pay yep. uh, $300 for Q-tips in the emergency room. I don't think anybody likes yep. any of this. Okay. Well, uh, you know, there's something to be said for going in the direct. Well, I am in going in the direction of universal healthcare and a little bit of it is the matter of tactics and the matter of progress. You know, it's one thing to be able to say, let's uh, blow up the whole healthcare system and start over. That's that has, uh, on a single payer, um, getting rid of the insurance industry, basically. Uh, but, uh, to, to that, that doesn't have a lot of prospect to actually get through Congress. Um, so I take a more practical approach. What I think is a more practical, pragmatic approach in the same direction to get relief. Now get relief now on drug cost reduction, get relief now on the ability to, Make sure your kids are covered up to age 26 and relief now on uh, Medicare, uh, excuse me, Medicaid expansion uh, in the state of Florida, which needs it. Um, so I'm more with uh, uh, the Biden uh, uh, wing of the Democratic Party than with the Sanders wing in the Democratic Party. But I stress that we're all going in the same direction. A big argument is like, where do we find the money to fund this stuff? Now, you being in the military, we know that the budget for the military is just astronomical. Did you personally yeah. see any waste during your time serving? Oh, sure. And you see waste uh, all over the place. And can what, you give us what an example? Like, what, well, yeah, can you give us an example? Like, what was it like? Well, I was I flew the mighty Echo Papa Three reconnaissance aircraft, and it's featured in my. Uh, that that my that aspect of my service is featured in my uh, uh, campaign video, which I would recommend everybody seeing. It's a great video, but by the, the way. The everybody P should watch it. It's a really <laughs> thank well you. Done. The P three airframe, you know they, those those airplanes and uh, and other airplanes that uh, go out for long missions like we did. You know they actually have toilets on board, and the what? the golden uh, the golden toilet seat was the is a big you know it's been a, an issue for uh, decades, and it's an example of. Uh, uh, acquisition and contracting in the Department of Defense uh, got so, amok. So there's so a let me, that, can I understand that, that, this? So that's one that's one example. Another one would be wait wait can, um, can I understand can I understand the toilet seat thing for a second? I'm sorry. So there's a toilet oh, sure. seat on this. <laughs> and how long are you actually in the air? Like per uh, per yeah. run or whatever you're doing. Permission. Well, we had a we had a motto when my first squadron was uh, let's see it was a twelve o or we don't go. That means a uh, 12-hour flight planned, or it's just not worth it. And my longest mission on EP3, I think, was uh, 13.4 oh, okay. or something. Well, 13.6, 13.4, like I think you need a toilet then. Like, if it was like a 35-minute mission or something, then you don't need a toilet. But if, it, if that makes <laughs> no, sense No, no, we fly alone and unafraid, 
far from home into the teeth of the Soviet war machine. That's what, that's what our and, job was. And thank you. Thank you again. But sorry to cut you off. I think you're in the middle of a thought, if you can even remember. But Okay. Well, you were asking about more waste in the, in the, yes, in the yes, defense yes. department. Well, you know, every big uh, acquisition is comes with a big price tag. The Department of Defense has never had an audit that has been uh, worth itself. And, you know, people have tried. Well, we need to try again, and we need to do it uh, with more uh, vigor and more technology to make sure that we, you know, put the light on the spending. Um, some of the big uh, programs of, of spending are, are aircraft carriers, the F-35 program. All these things uh, mean a lot to uh, our defense, and they're very necessary, and they mean a lot here to our local economy in Northwest Florida. Um, one of the approaches in the macro sense that uh, President Obama did and, and uh, uh, Trump is, uh, it, and, and other presidents have done, they, they often have a, uh, what's called a horizontal slice of the budget where you just take a little bit out of little pots instead of making the hard decision to a vertical slice and saying, you know, we don't need this capability. And we need yeah. a better capability. A 10% cut. So, of the, of the, I'm not of afraid the, of those discussions. I've been around those my whole life, and I'm uh, ready to engage. I mean, a 10% cut at the Pentagon would mean $70 billion. Uh, that's just insane, the amount of spending. I, I, we all want a strong military, and we could still have the best in the world if we cut the spending, and we could help our people here. It's just so crazy to me personally. Yeah. Um, We want a relevant military. We want relevant national security. And guess where the national security challenge is right now? Trump's right now in the pandemic. (laughs) And we didn't, we didn't prepare for that. The biggest national security threat is in the white house, in my opinion. But, um, we're about to to let you, uh, go on with your life. We appreciate you being on the, on the show, but real quick though, because you're a military man, we do have to ask, uh, the Space Force, when it was created, it was kind of seen as a joke. But uh, Commander Air, is there a real need for the Space Force? All right. So I have a space qualification within the within the United States Navy. And I'd have a better attitude if it was a Starfleet, if we had, uh, you know, kind of yes. the, the admirals instead of the generals. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, space does not need to be militarized. Oh, uh, the various it. services use it. Now, the Navy has a space, uh, uh, we use space. The Air Force uses space. The Army, of all things, uses space. Uh, so to stand up a space force is problematic, and it's kind of like uh, um, adjusting the, the parking places in a, a parking lot. Now, we've got these, we've got the capability already, and I just haven't seen the justification to, uh, to justify the expense of, of inaugurating a new uh, force, but you know, I'm keeping my mind open a little bit, but uh, I haven't been, I haven't been convinced about it. So I'm happy to see what the Democrats in Congress are doing with respect to the, um, the appropriation of funds. It's showing caution and it's not going whole hog in it because they, they haven't justified it yet. Commander Phil air is running as a democratic candidate to replace representative Matt Gates that everybody loves and you know we're we're uh, when it, when it comes to election night on November eighth, we're going to be live here doing a show uh, the entire night, and we hope that you maybe join us. Uh, just drop in for a second, let us know how it's going in your camp, and we wish you the best of luck. Air for Congress, Doctor. Well, 
Airforcongress.com. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's been an honor and a privilege to be here as it is an honor and privilege to be around good people in Northwest Florida who are taking the bull by the horns and we're going to turn this place around. Thank you yes. very much. Thank you so much. EHR for Congress.com. Thank you. Best of luck. All the best. Okay. Kick his ass. Kick his ass. Seagrass. Listen, we want him to beat Matt Gates. We also have to be fair with the questions. Quick edit. Yeah. Election uh, night is November 3rd at a not November 8th. November 3rd. <laughs> okay, thank you. You know, this has been hey, a show uh, rifled that's how with good that. we are. That's a, thank you for that correction. I appreciate it. But we'll be live really here wanted, on Adobe. I had I had a I had a way to bring the whole interview back together and you ignored me. You didn't have your hand up. I did have my hand up. What was I your was way? I recommend him recommend to him to watch Space Force on Netflix. Oh, <laughs> anyway, don't never recommend that to anybody. That'd be a horrible mistake. Oh, come on. It's a bad, bad, it a, bad show. Give it another shot. Um, we have to take a quick break and we'll come right back. Hang on. Too many buttons to press. At some point, I really like to, to, you know, be able to afford somebody else to press the buttons for me while I just sit here. That'd be awesome. Beep, 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 boop, boop. Uh, but anyways, uh, good show. Thank you to our guest. Yeah, Phil we had a great Ayer. conversation. I really enjoyed that. Did you think it was okay? Um, yeah, I did. Sorry that I you, really did. It sucks that you're not here in person because it's easier when you're here. We can, like, go back and forth in the questioning. I got I got to ask at least one question that I want. I, I hate to hog the can, next don't, week. Don't. Can you, you just like take your it? Your insight is uh, you and I. You know, we have a very similar mindset and, and you know train of thought, and you nailed it. So you do a good job. Well, that's why interview. next week. Why don't you uh, lead it? That'd be great. I would rather did. not. I'd rather you did. I would rather not. <laughs> why? And I think our listeners, our listeners, would rather you do it. No, that's not. not even true. That is true. That is a hundred percent true, my friend. I could just like uh, no, pull, you can't pull you the cord on no. the uh, engine and then no, you just get it going. It. Uh, anyways, no, you're, whatever. I think you. I think you. You might be fishing for compliments right now. I'm really not. I I'm fishing really for are. somebody to uh, take the burden away. No, you do a great job. You shouldn't feel burdened. You're uh, you're a natural at it. It's funny because I hate people. Hate people in real life. I no, you don't. I hate them all. <laughs> I hate them all. All right. Um, now you're trying to play a, 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 you know, you're just putting up a show now. All right, it's not really a show, but uh, that's that's <laughs> that should be the tagline for this show. It's not really a show. No, it was a great show. Yes, I enjoyed uh, it, Eddie. You did a great job. We you did a great job, and we missed you, Katie. And uh, we'll see everybody again next time. We should have sent a mobile kit out with Katie. No, I guess she's on a little vacation, and you guys are on a vacation. Yeah, she's on bad a idea. Vacation. Bad idea. Anyways, bye everybody. We're back. Appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. Wear a mask!